Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is October the 21st, and I'm going to introduce to you the book of Ephesians. That's right, I'm going to introduce the book of Ephesians. Then we're going to go through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6 in the coming days. And we will be on schedule all the way because I'm going to do another one today, later today, that will be for chapter 1. But I want to simply introduce this to you this morning so that you can begin to think and get your mind going toward the themes of the book of Ephesians. It's so important. Now, I know all of these small books, these letters, sometimes will run together. I can remember when I first began to really study the Bible, I would hear someone say, turn to the book of Galatians, turn to the book of Colossians and Philippians and Ephesians. And they were all kind of bunched together, just short chapters, short books. It was hard for me to separate Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And so my mind, again, works very simply. And so I learned the books of the Bible by association, especially those that began to run together for me. So I didn't remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, as I can reel it off now. Oh, no. I remembered General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And so General Electric Power Company was familiar to me, and that's how I remembered the beginning of each one of those words was the beginning of each one of those books as a letter as well. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. General Electric Power Company. We're in the book of electricity today, and that is the book of Ephesians. Now, what I want to do is help you to understand about this important city and what it meant to the kingdom of God in that day. First of all, the book of Ephesians was a circular letter, I believe, because of internal evidence. What do I mean by circular letter? Well, like all of the letters, they were circulated through all of the early church. Remember, the New Testament had not been compiled and written yet, and so it was being written. And so Paul would write a letter, and it would go to Ephesus, then it would go to Colossae, then it would go to Laodicea, then it would go right around all of those churches that were mentioned in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, as well as others in the area. But the leading church was the church at Ephesus. It was the prime church. It was the epicenter of the ancient Greco-Roman world as far as Christianity was concerned. It wasn't Antioch. It wasn't Jerusalem. It had shifted from Jerusalem to Antioch. From Antioch, the gospel went out through what is modern-day Turkey and into Europe. Remember how the book of Acts unfolded as you began to shift the movements of God from Jerusalem, because that's where the gospel went out from originally. But it went north in northern Syria, along the Rontes River to ancient Antioch. And from there, in chapter 13 of the book of Acts, the apostle Paul and Barnabas were sent out. So they went out 
out on their missionary journeys, and they came back and reported to the churches. The Apostle Paul, on his second missionary journey, had made a short stop there at Ephesus, but on his third missionary journey, he stayed there for about three years, and after he left, Timothy was the pastor. After him, we believe that Apollos was the pastor, and then the Apostle John, and then many believe that Onesimus, the runaway slave from Colossae that belonged to Philemon, to which Paul wrote a very personal letter while in prison, He was the next pastor there. And so it had an illustrious group, Hall of Fame pastors. But the Apostle Paul was there for three years and the one who really started and founded the church there in Ephesus. Now, it was a commercial center. It was uh, at the crossroads of the ancient world. It was the capital of Asia or Asia Minor, that whole area was called, but the province called Asia. There were rivers there. There was a river called the Castor River, the Meandering River. You've heard of something meandering all the way here to there and and going to and fro. Uh, well, the term meander comes from that river, the Meandering River, that is very close there to Ephesus. But Ephesus was also a religious center. It was where the great temple Diana was located, which was the goddess of fertility. That city housed the Temple of Diana, which was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was magnificent. And remember, there was entire industries that Paul confronted, and they confronted Paul and rioted because no one were buying the small silver idols uh, to Diana anymore. And so the silversmiths rebelled against the Apostle Paul and his preaching of Jesus. And so you can read about that in the book of Acts, but a great work of God was done there. And so when you open up the book of Ephesians, it is one of those letters, again, that was circulated. And probably the reason that we had the book of Ephesians called the book of Ephesians is because that was the chief church. And so they more than likely in the manuscripts put in the word Ephesus because that's where it ended up. You must know that in some of the ancient manuscripts, it's just blank there because they would fill in because it had to go from church to church, and they would say to the church at Colossae, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Laodicea, and so forth. That has nothing to do with inspiration. It has to do with practicality and logistics because the same copy went from place to place to place, and uh, that's the way they did it. They could have copied it down and then sent on a copy. All I'm saying is that what Paul wrote down was the very words of God. It was as inspired as the book of Genesis, and the Bible teaches that. However, it doesn't mean because the book of Ephesians doesn't have the imprint of Ephesus on it, there's internal evidence that would lead us to believe indeed that it was a circular letter. And I'm not going to go into those. That's for a class on down the road. But I do want you to understand uh, the importance of Ephesus, the teachings of the book of Ephesus. And Paul writes this as he does all of his non-personal letters. And this is a non-personal letter. And it was written to the churches and to the church at Ephesus. We have that copy. It deals with things just like a rabbi and the apostle Paul did. In other words, like Romans, it had chapters early that dealt with doctrinal issues, who we are in Christ, what God has done for us, the way of salvation, the way we need to be saved, why we need to be saved, how we're saved. All of those things in our relationship with God are covered, just like in Romans chapters 1 through 8. 
those same things and more and different emphasis are in Ephesians 1 and 2. That's where we have, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But when you come to chapter 3 and chapter 4, you have the same kind of thing that you had in Romans chapter 9, 10, 11 that are dispensational. And I'll explain what I mean by that in just a moment. But they are dispensational. That is, they deal with God's management. That's why when you open up Ephesians to chapter 3, Paul said, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. He was in prison when he wrote this letter. It's why it's called a prison letter, a prison epistle. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. That's right. I didn't make up that word. Neither did C.I. Schofield, which I'm not a C.I. Schofield dispensationalist. Some of you won't ever listen to me again for me saying that. I'm just not. But there is such a thing as a dispensation. Now, what is the word dispensation? It is the word for epoch. It's a time period. It's a type of management. The word dispensation, that's translated into English dispensation, is the word oikonomia. It's where we get our word economy. Now, when we think of economy, we think of how money is managed within a government or a particular system within a nation. But it doesn't just have to do with economy. It has to do with management, how things are managed. And so the dispensation that Paul talks about is the way that God is managing uh, world history, managing salvation, managing how he relates and reveals himself to man. And so he says, if indeed you've heard of the oikonomia, the economy, the particular way that God manages and is managing in this time period, this epoch, this era, then you will understand that it is the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. By revelation, he made known unto me the musterion, which I briefly have written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the musterion of Messiah. Now, that's right there in the text. You see, people often say, well, you know, this thing of the rapture that you're all the time talking about, but first of all, I'm not all the time talking about it, but I do mention it when God mentions it, because if God mentions it, it's important and we need to listen. Paul mentions that as a mystery. Often I've been told, well, Jesus didn't talk about the rapture, neither did he talk about the church. Neither did he talk about a lot of things that were mysterion. They were mysteries. Now, that's not a Nancy Drew or a mystery along those lines. No, it's a mystery. A mystery is something that is hidden in the heart of God until the time that he chooses to reveal it. You see, we know more now than they did when Moses was writing the Torah. We know more now than Isaiah knew. We know more now than Ezekiel knew. We know more now, yes, than Daniel knew. And the reason is God progressively reveals himself to man. Why? Because we can't take it all at one time, and God knows when is the time to reveal something. So the relationship between Israel, God's chosen people, and his chosen people called the church, chosen from the Gentile nations, those that come to Christ, only a fraction do that. You understand that, don't you? Only a fraction of people come to Jesus. That is, when we talk about winning the world, that's a misnomer. You're not going to win the world. That's not even biblical. Most of the world's going to be lost for eternity. Most of the world rejects the Son of God. Most of the world rejects Judeo-Christian value. Most of the world. And when I hear evangelicals saying, well, let's go, we're going to win the world across. No, you're not. That's not even a biblical concept. I'm sorry. 
Now, some people will call me a heretic for saying that because you've had drilled in you all your life that we're going to win the world. And then you get upset at people because of their eschatology. But if you believe we're going to win the world and the world's just going to get better and better and better, then you're really somewhat of a reconstructionist who believes that everything's going to get better and better because the church will get better and better and we'll win more people to Jesus. That's just not what the Bible teaches. And so we are living in the economy that God, the way God manages things right now is he's working through Jew and Gentile, which is called the church, the called out ones, the ecclesia. And he is being salt and light. He is, the church is his hands and his feet. And he's calling out a people unto himself. And then when the church leaves this world, God is going to once again use primarily the Jews, not a mixture of Jew and Gentile, not primarily the Gentiles and the Gentile church. No, he's going to primarily use the Jews. As a matter of fact, he's going to select 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, save the tribe of Dan. And he is going to make them instantaneously, simultaneously, all over the world, his flaming evangelists for Messiah. Now, that's what the Bible teaches. And I'm sorry if that doesn't fit into your theological or eschatological grid. That's just what God says. And I'm going to speak the truth, and you interpret it ever how you want to. But what I'm saying to you is, God is not finished with Israel. The church does not replace God's people Israel. And Paul deals with this in the book of Romans 9, 10, 11, and he deals with it throughout the New Testament. And he deals with that in Ephesians chapter 3. So chapter 3 and 4 deals with the Jew and the Gentile and how God works with them and how he has broken down the middle wall of partition through salvation that is talked about in chapter 1, chapter 2. And then when we come to chapter 5 and 6, after he's talking about Jew and Gentile and the unity that we have in Christ and how that God's doing it, he says, therefore, when you turn to Chapter 5, how does it start? Therefore, be imitators, mamata, be imitators of God as dear children. And he starts talking about how the gospel has affected our lives, how the spirit of God living in us has affected our lives, how our relationship with the Father has affected our lives. And in chapters 5 and 6, he talks about what we are to do because of what Christ has done for us. We are to live in the fullness of God's Spirit. That's why that famous passage of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, when we get there, I will develop this for you in the coming week. But this is exactly what the makeup of the book is. The first two chapters deal with what God has done for us in Christ. That is doctrinal in its teaching. In chapters 3 and 4, he deals with the dispensational aspects, how God manages the Jew and the Gentile relationship and the church in this present age. But this present age will end. And then chapters 5 and 6 deal with the practical, dutiful aspects of what God has done for us in Christ and how that's played out and lived out in the way of Jesus in our present evil world in which you and I live in this present day. And so I want you to understand that the book of Ephesians is laid out very systematically, methodically to teach truth, what God has done for us in Christ, the difference between the Jew and the Gentile, between those who are 
part of the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile, and the unity that God demands within the church of Jesus. I said it. He demands it. You say, well, I don't like people. Get over it. Work through it. We must love people. We must love people. We must reach out in Jesus' name and strive and work for, intentionally go after the unity of the church, not at the cost of compromising truth. But within the truth of God, there is room for differences of opinion. And if you have to agree with someone 100% before you're going to have fellowship with them, it won't be long till you won't have fellowship with yourself. Because I promise you, if you're growing, you will change your mind along the way about critical issues. That's right. About critical issues. That is what you think is critical. And what is critical is determined by what God says are the essentials of the Christian faith. But then chapters 5 and 6, it deals with living that out every day. And by the way, always what we need to understand is God saves us on purpose, with purpose, for purpose. And that purpose is to love God, is to serve others, and to obey. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.